welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. This episode of the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by Jiffy. If you're interested in uh, checking out Jiffy's newest gear, head to their website, jiffyonice.com, and you'll find everything you need for your ice fishing and fishing adventures there. Jiffyonice.com. All right, and we're back with episode 122. Man, you're over on the fire. Web. Woo! Look at that ad read. That's dynamite. What's shaking today, brother? Man, I got lots on my plate right now. Um, both, um, I, well, I got a couple of good stories to tell you actually, and I got some plans this weekend that you might want to hear about. Uh, I got lots. Where do you want to start? I do. Uh, well, you know what? Um, let's hear about your weekend plans. What's going on? Well, I talked to, um, my dad, which I have another story about him here coming up shortly, but I talked to him briefly and we're going to move some tree stands. And this is making me think about the reason why we're moving them right now. People might think we're like dumb or whatever, but, mm-hmm. um, we know the area that we're hunting pretty, pretty well and, uh, hunting, um, we, we've been hunting this area for years and years and years. So we kind of know what's going on and we just kind of want to shift some tree stands around. And this is in my mind, the perfect time of year to get out there and do it. Not only there's no bugs, um, but you know how summer months get going and you get super busy. So we have a free few hours on the Saturday. So we're going to, yeah, move a couple tree stands. We're going to check all our tree stands because we leave quite a few of them up over the winter. Mm-hmm. So we'll check them all out. And um, it's just like a friendly reminder to all those hunters um, out there that uh, before you get up in those those tree stands this fall, make sure you take some time this summer and go check them. I had this one time um, a few years ago. I went to climb a tree stand and the squirrel chewed through the ratchet strap I had holding it. So that uh, that was a freaky experience. So be safe out there and uh, yeah, check your tree stands. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that uh, thought rolling around the back of my mind a few times when I'm climbing up into a, a tree stand that's been up on private property for a couple of years. And you're like, Oh, well, let's see what's going to happen here. You give it a good look over, but still never know. Um, I also have a tree stand on private property that I need to take down. And uh, I think I'm going to move to like some public or find some p- public land spots Um close by here if i can because uh the private land spots that i hunt there's a few other guys that are hunting it with me Mm -hmm. and uh, i want to start trying some like aggressive tactics and i don't want to mess up the property for them or get them pissed off at me you know what i mean if i chase a big buck out of there or something like that so um we're gonna try some like aggressive bow hunting tactics yeah just like share one of these just like getting getting in close to bedding areas pretty much is the tactic i want to employee like getting within 100 yards or under kind of thing so um we'll see how that plays out but well that's the thing too like scouting is going to be a little bit different i mean right now is kind of when i start scouting putting up cameras i mean you're starting to get horn growth usually in the start of june um so i'm probably and probably already a little bit right now but i think you start noticing a little bit of horn growth at the start of june i usually start putting cameras up but speaking of bedding areas, I'm just thinking about the one property we hunt. It is low lying. And a lot of those bedding areas that they normally use is on a really dry year. Um, so who knows? Like, I think a lot of things are going to change between say now and August, especially if this rain can stop for a month or so. Yeah. But um, yeah, it might be a little bit different out in those bushes. I never even thought of that. 
Yeah, big time. It, it's funny uh, that you talk about like scouting and stuff right now too, because I remember when I was uh, doing some guiding, my uncle kind of gave me some insight into some of his scouting tactics. And he said a lot of the times uh, he would find you deer hunting areas um, while he was setting up a new uh, bear bait in the spring. Right. So, you know, those, those scrape lines and those rub lines, they'll still be fresh in the spring, kind of like when the grass isn't grown up and all that, right. The, the scrapes will still be open. Mm-hmm. So he would, he would stumble across these big, uh, like scraped areas and, and, uh, and then he would come back there in the fall to, uh, set up some, do some deer scouting kind of thing. So right. kind of cool, different tactic gets you out in the spring. Maybe you're looking for mushrooms, finding deer scrapes. Maybe you're hunting bears, whatever you're doing. Keep an eye open for those deer scrapes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, fishing. Have you been out fishing? It's uh, last weekend was the opener for Manitoba. Have you uh, got the kids out or you gone out yourself? I have not what a line yet. No, which is disappointing this weekend though. Um, it's been a, so my buddy's coming in from BC and he, we haven't seen him in like four years and we were planning like a backcountry fishing trip, but that kind of fell apart with all the flooding and stuff that's happening and uh, just access issues. So we ended up renting a cabin in Eastern Manitoba and uh, buddy Jared, there's got a pretty nice boat. So we're going to send it in that. And it's supposed to be a pretty damp weekend. So I'm, I'm glad we're, we're not in the back country, but uh, hoping we can find a few fish, maybe a crappy hole or something like that. So you guys have a wood stove in the cabin you rented? I think there is one. Yeah. Oh, that'd be nice if it's a little damp out this weekend. Yeah. There's That's a hot what... tub. So there'll be a guaranteed oh, sausage oh. party happening in there. <laughs> Look out. That'll be good for a hangover. I'm sure. You know, yeah. one of the things that I actually crave and I like been thinking about it actually for the last week is going camping in this type of weather. Or, and, and when I think of camping, I'm talking about using the bell tent with the wood stove crackling inside, you know, curled up yeah. and, and, and I don't know, it just seems so peaceful. And then when I think about it, like being wet out in a boat and getting to like a dry outpost camp or cabin with that fire going, man, that's, there's nothing better than that. That's the ticket, man. Something. Yeah. Um, speaking of fishing, did I tell you about my bump board? <laughs> no, it's not even my bump board, but did I tell you that story? The one about your dad? Yeah. Yeah, he did tell me, but uh, tell the good folks about your bump board situation. Okay, so last Christmas, not this Christmas, the Christmas before, my dad's been kind of redoing this boat, and uh, he has this plan. He wants to redo this boat, and he wants to go fishing with it, yada, yada, yada. And I'm just like, okay. So he's been like asking for stuff the last couple of years for his boat, like seats and this and that. And I wanted to think of something that would be a little bit different than what he wanted. So I bought him a bump board from rat river outdoors down in, where's that? Um, St. Pierre. Yeah. Or Some, somewhere yeah. Down uh, somewhere down there. Can't remember. Yeah. Jolie. What is that? What it is? Jolie. St. Pierre Jolie. Some of that. Yeah. Anyways. One, yeah. One of those uh, community South Winnipeg order this bump board up. And I want to say it was like $170 by the time I got it, like to my house, it was <laughs> yeah. one of those big musky boards. It's like, um, I don't know if it's fiberglass, but like the plastic that folds into two from like folds out into one big long board. Right. Yeah. So it's fairly expensive. Anyways, he, I go over there last week and this guy makes me shake my head. I go over there last weekend to help him hang a TV in his garage, which is another story, but I don't need to get into that one. And I go to grab the TV and I look down and there's, it looked like a piece of the bump board. 
And I'm like, what the fuck? So I like grabbed the bumper and I looked and he fucking cut it with like a jigsaw. And not only did he not cut it on the other side of the fold, he cut it on the inside of the fold at like the 29 inch mark for like whatever, probably walleye, right? Maybe it was 28 inch. And I was like, what the hell, man? Like you cut this? He's like, well, yeah, I can put it back together. I'm like, put it back together. Like with what? Like fucking glue? <laughs> like you and like the point of this board is that it's like so you can take it out of the boat like if you want to oh and that's the thing he took the bump board like the first part of it and screwed it inside of his boat <laughs> so it's just like and if you wanted a tape measure go buy one of those dollar 99 ones from the sports store and put it the tape on the side of your boat you know yeah put the anyway, sticker on i was like i was kind of rattled but at the same time it was just like whatever it's like your present but you just fucking wrecked a 170 present yeah wild yeah things parents do oh man <laughs> uh, i couldn't believe it anyways that's my uh, fishing story but no thanks for asking i haven't been fishing either uh <clears throat> it's been pretty busy here with work and um some other shit that's going on at, on at home here but um yeah hopefully i'm supposed to get out this weekend maybe on the assiniboine but it's rising it looks like every day so i don't think i'll be trying that anytime soon so i don't know we'll see yeah it's weird times, weird times, man. I've seen a few people catching the odd catfish and longboard here. So I might, uh, I might try next week to try and toss the new fly fly rig around a little bit. And then, uh, I'd also supposed to head out and do a little bit of pike fishing in the spring as well. But, um, that's kind of the, the whole impetus behind the, the purchase of the, the new fly rod. Well, not really just for catfish, but I really want to get out for pike and smash a couple of big pike on it, but well, you and Dylan um, were planning a trip or yeah. Yeah. Me and Dylan are supposed to head out. Um, he's up working right now and up North, but, uh, when he comes back, we're supposed to find somewhere to find some monster pike. So, um, a couple other things I wanted to mention to you before we get to this podcast and before we get too far, I guess we should let everyone know we have, uh, all trained bear hunts owner, operator, outfitter, Corey Grant on where we get to talk about a lot of different things when it comes to outfitting in the North. So it's not like just bear moose or whatever. It's like we talk about everything. So it's actually a really cool episode. So stay tuned for that. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to um, ask you a few questions about the article that came out from Manitoba Wildlife Federation about maybe, you know, not targeting walleye right off the bat on opening day last weekend. Mm-hmm. Do, you want to, do you know much about like, can you maybe explain that? Maybe some of our listeners, it might be some good information. If you're not even from Manitoba, it might be some good information anyways. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The, uh, well, so, I mean, this, the season is, is kind of based off of the walleye spawn when the, when the season opens back up. And there's generally a little bit of wiggle room in there um, based on seasonal changes like temperature and stuff like that. But the walleye spawn is, is, is based on the, a photo period, which is like when the, when the sun, when the, you know, we get more daylight hours kind of thing. And it, that kind of kicks off the, the spawning, um, uh, what do you call it, the uh, spawning uh, migration we'll say and then uh what what actually causes the fish to spawn is is the temperature the rise in the temperature and it's around 44 degrees fahrenheit is what the water kind of hits and that's when they start laying their eggs but this year with it being so cold um the they predict that the spawn's going to be a couple weeks later so they just didn't want people to be targeting uh we well they yeah, we didn't want people to be targeting uh, some of the spawning areas on 
on the bigger lakes, especially in the bigger lakes, because they, they take a lot longer to warm up and uh, lots of them still have ice on them and all kinds of stuff. So um, the tributaries warm up a little bit faster. So the, the, the walleye usually spawned out a couple of weeks, a week or two ahead of the, the fish on the lakes. But uh, yeah, it was just, uh, just concerning for the, the fish on the lakes and especially those bigger bodies of water. And, and Manitoba is known for uh, the, the big walleye, especially in Lake Winnipeg, right? So those are the big spawners. If you're looking at, uh, if you want to compare like an 18 inch female to like a 28 inch female, the 18 inch will produce about 100,000 eggs and the 28 inch female will produce about 600,000 eggs. So most people target the, the trophy walleye, right? So it's, uh, you know, we're just kind of encouraging folks to give them an extra couple of weeks to spawn out. And, and uh, the other thing is too, if you're in their, their spawning area, dusting it up and stuff like that, that still is the stuff that kind of chokes out um, eggs that are laid out already and, and uh, uh, fertilized. So hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. You know, the so like, um, Maybe I missed out on something you said there. I kind of zoned out for a second. Um, but w- so what's like the temperature or the date that is suggested to wait till? Oh, the, the temp hits around 44 degrees Fahrenheit is when they start laying eggs and oh, yeah. spawning. You know, it's, yeah, it's kind of brutal because I know a lot of people, especially the first couple of weeks of spring, um, maybe target walleye because it's, it's, um, you know, one of those sport fish that might, I'm not saying easy to catch, but it's, they're, they're fairly easier to catch than there's like the mouths of the rivers and the creeks. It's, and Yeah. Know, they're, blah, blah, blah. they're easy to target and it's usually a pretty hot bite, uh, post spawn. Right. Um, uh, what, well, there's one other thing. Oh yeah. So the one benefit to having a late spring like this too, and, and having the flooding is that like, uh, when the, when the water does start to warm up, it usually warms up pretty fast. So it reduces, reduces the uh or increases the success rate of the 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 spawn or the hatch too because the those eggs will hatch quicker than they would on a normal year yeah is generally the water temperature once it starts rising it'll rise faster and then that's what really caused the uh the big ripple effect in the in the walleye population in lake winnipeg there the flood in 97 rolled in and uh, we're still benefiting from that flood today yeah, for sure. And well, and the other thing for anglers, the benefit too, is that you kind of get that good walleye fishing maybe a little bit later on in the year where hopefully it'll be sunny and a little bit warmer too. Yeah. Um, but, but you never know. No kidding. Yeah. So okay, kind of cool. cool. Something you don't really think about every day, but uh, yeah, be mindful yeah. out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was going to ask you one more thing about, uh, about the fishing season, but now I can't remember. Huh? Yeah, whatever. Anything else you got on the docket there? That's about it. You got any uh, plans for fishing coming up this summer or what are you thinking? Um, to be honest, I don't really know at the moment. I had some like big camping plans where obviously I'd be doing some fishing too. But the good thing about um, about this summer is that we do have that new boat from Swellfish coming out and we're going to be able to rock that thing a little bit so i'm I'm just gonna say there's gonna be a big surprise coming this week (laughs) oh i just blew it (laughs) sorry (laughs) for all you listeners there's a big surprise coming on instagram check it out i don't know what it's gonna be but yeah i want to take that thing out i want to check out some different uh 
um, some different areas where I haven't fished before. Um, listening to some of our past podcasts that I wasn't on about like fly fishing and stuff really makes me interested in like that Roblin area or like, uh, is it Patterson to Carrick, all that area, maybe yeah. doing some trout. Um, maybe not midsummer, obviously, but sometime this year. And, yeah. um, yeah, other than that, probably do the Lake Winnipeg thing a couple times. And, uh, yeah, and then I'm going to probably be up north, um, fishing the Grass River and, where i usually am I yeah kind of like my temporary temp- temporary stomping grounds yeah Grass okay, River. that's cool that's cool that's a good spot to be yeah for sure what about yourself um well so far just uh the pike and i really want to hit the red hard this this year for uh for cats and and uh whatever else just figure it out a little bit better for shore, shore fishing with the fly fly line and stuff like that mm-hmm. fly rod <clears throat> so I'm looking forward to that. I invested in that fly rod this year to do more fishing down there. And it's like, uh, the fishery is 15 minutes away from my house. So it's very accessible for me to go down for an hour or two on the weekend or whenever. Right. Um, and then, uh, Tristan has the, the seasonal up at Hecla and, uh, we're probably going to try and book a couple camping trips up that way this year and do some exploring up there. Right on. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, living in Brandon. There's not too many places. This Cinnaboyne is great. It's a great fishery. So I'm going to try, I always say it, I'm going to try to fish it a lot more. So as long as I fish it more than last year, then I keep on improving every year. So mm-hmm. that might be one of my goals. Um, yeah. Before we get into this podcast episode two, Chase, I just wanted to mention to everyone that's listening that we have um, cutting boards on a pre-sale right now in our store. Uh, they're 10 by 16, I believe. They've got a drip tray that that does like the whole circumference of the board. It's got our logo planted right in the bottom right corner. And the cool thing about these boards, anybody that's listening or maybe that's like thinking about getting one, this wood is harvested in southwestern Manitoba. The guy that's making it is a as a retired um, like woodworker. So he's still doing the woodworking thing. So he's making these boards for us. And then we also sourced it locally to get the, get our logo put on it as well. So it's kind of cool. Cause it has a story. I mean, if you're, you're serving up a charcuterie board or you're cutting up your prime rib or your, uh, brisket from the smoker, I mean, that board can tell a story right there that it's wood right from Manitoba. So if you guys are looking for one, we do have limited numbers in our store. So it's on a pre-sale right now. Um, but that's, being said doesn't mean we're going to get some more in the future but we're testing the water so if you want one check it out 60 bucks and you can have a board that's probably going to last you quite a while yeah yeah it's pretty sweet setup man pretty sweet get it get it for somebody for uh, their gift for their birthday this summer <laughs> oh yeah whatever right yeah you christmas know? present might as well yeah. be early early christmas present yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. all right. right i think we're uh, good to launch this one or what Rock and roll, brother. If you're in the woods mushroom hunting this spring, be sure to download the iHunter app. If you're cruising around sharing, I know not too many people share their mushroom spots, but if you want a secure way to share them, make sure you use the iHunter app. With your buddies, you can share waypoints and areas right on there and get your public land maps get some private land owner maps as well and if you want 30 percent off of your public land subscription head over to web.ihunterapp.com and uh, type in the code panoramic 30 for 30 percent off check them out either in the app store or online
right on in today's episode. You might have heard this guy on our podcast before. I think we had him in the first 15, maybe 20 episodes. I can't remember 100%, but he's coming from northern Manitoba. We visited there this winter, did a little bit of ice fishing, but he also has an outfitting group called All Terrain Bear Hunts. Welcome to the show, Corey Grant. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Well, let's go on. Um, Chase and I are going to go right off the bat with five burning questions. I've got the very first one, um, and it's going to be a doozy, I think. But um, since you're an outfitter, I, my first question is, what is your favorite client, a new hunter or a seasoned veteran? Mm, that's a tough one. We could always circle back too. But. Yeah, hang well, on. <laughs> How many repeat clients are going to be listening to this podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, uh, I, I, both, I guess. You know, you get a, you can have a good seasoned veteran that, you don't do anything with, I mean, they, they know their thing and, and they do everything they're asked of. They know the game. Then you get seasoned veterans who kind of know everything and that's not the one. <laughs> they're teaching you <laughs> no. to hunt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as far as the rookies, I mean, a, a kid, especially a kid or say a, a woman first timer, it's always fun with them because uh, everything like we do it every day, but everything to them is so exciting and new that you can just see it in, in their eye and their, their emotion is just it right into the game. And that's, that's kind of cool. Do you think that there's something there when it comes to like, a, uh, like a male rookie hunter where it's, they almost feel like kind of embarrassed or something. Like, I just know, like, even for myself, I go fish with somebody that targets a, a certain species i go fishing them and i feel like man i should know some of this stuff but i really don't and you almost feel hesitant to ask certain questions you know does that do you ever get that feeling with new hunters yeah a few yeah yeah definitely yeah. but but then on the other side of that you also get the guys who who don't know but pretend they do and right. it turns into a gong show <laughs> i'm going to come at you with question number two here uh being an outfitter you obviously spend lots of time on on home turf hunting and i know you do a, a little out of province hunting as well but uh if you had one destination hunt what would it be for and where would you go oh boy well to be honest i think i would probably want to go on a yukon alaska moose hunt <laughs> <laughs> nice i think that would be it or maybe a combo of of that with the the grizzly with it oh, or, yeah. or whatever Wherever you were, it's, uh, yeah, I guess yeah. it wouldn't be Kodiak, but it would be it would be something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So moose hunter at been, heart. Yeah, I've always been interested in that. I know that I'll never be able to afford that kind of hunt, but uh, it was it would be very interesting to see if our uh, the tactics there would work the same as here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would be interesting. Um, question number two, just because I know you're you like to do the odd karaoke singing and stuff. What would be your last concert? If you go to any concert, last one, who would you go and watch? Oh, boy. Um, Maybe Alive or Dead, too. Just throw that out there. Oh, well. If Cousin Randy's listening, he'll be glad to hear George Jones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I like that yeah. answer. George Jones. Yeah. All right. Jones. Question number four. Um, you got all the money in the world. We know you're an uh, airplane pilot. What... Uh, what plane would you go and buy if you had uh, money to buy whatever aircraft you'd like? Something for yourself to fly. Okay. Not like a charter you're 
wealthy butt around. Yeah, I guess maybe, you know what? I haven't ever thought too much about the expensive planes because I know I can't afford them, but uh, probably we had in, in camp once a turbo beaver that was just amazing. You couldn't put enough stuff in it, you know, mm -hmm. and it was kind of neat. So yeah, you I run, guess out that of, would be... run out of space before you run out of horsepower. Yep, that's right. So awesome. And my last question, although now I, I got to rethink this question because um, my last question was actually my million dollar question. I wanted to call it, but you kind of answered it in a way. So I guess if my last question would be, if, if I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but if you weren't an outfitter, what do you think you'd be doing? Being where I live, I'd probably be working in the mine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I guess that would be it. Being a miner. You'd be doing podcasts with Panoramic Outdoors and mining and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right on. You made it through the five burning questions. I know the last one was kind of tough just because Chase took mine. So we'll blame him for that. But how yeah, we wanted yeah. to start. Okay. <laughs> how we wanted to start out this podcast is like get back right to when you're a young little kid, maybe running around. How did you get into the outdoors? Like, how did it all start for you? Did, was there like a certain trip or a certain someone that got you out there? Or, or where'd you find all your passion to, to be outside? Well, obviously it was my dad. And uh, as kids, my brother and myself, that's all we did. Uh, we went to camp and, or, or uh, growing up as a kid, we also had a motor home and we'd go camping every weekend. And, and mom and dad would always make sure they picked the lake because if there wasn't a lake for us two to go fishing, we'd drive them nuts. So um, <laughs> that was, uh, I guess that would be the beginning. And then as we got a little bit older, our dad would take us out uh, hunting for uh, birds and, what have you and then uh, again as we got older into our teens we started on the big game and and it stuck I guess it it really stuck it was something we always did and always enjoyed doing I also you, think our whole family like not just the immediate family but like our grandpa and uncles and were all hunters and that you know kind of made it easy for us to fall into that uh kind of groove yeah it definitely gives you a little bit of opportunity to check out or try new things like living in thompson i mean i don't know what it would be like for you but like to come down south and you know go on your first deer hunt or go on your first field goose hunt or something must have been kind of eye-opening when you're surrounded by trees and lakes in like 360 days of the year oh yeah there, there's a lot of difference and we loved it you know we look forward to that you know, going on a field bird hunt, that was, that was super cool. Couldn't get enough of it, you know? And then that's how we, we got into archery as well with the whitetail and in the South and, uh, you know, it went on and on from there. Yeah. You do a little bit of hunting South of the border for whitetail, but, uh, it's always, uh, in, in my mind, um, you know, balancing the, the, the fall as, an outfitter I, I used to do a bit, a bit of guiding so it used to be like okay it's, it's sweet because you get to be out there all the time you, you're hunting a, a lot with clients but you know how do you squeeze in your own type of hunt um obviously you do the whitetail down south but is there any other kind of hunts that you look forward to to go on on your own throughout the fall fall is busy that's for sure it's almost a good thing up north here we don't have whitetails so then that frees up some time come november um because we're in moose camp till the middle of October and then we're closing things up. So 
that whitetail hunt is key. And then on the way down, I usually try to get in a, a, a duck or a goose shoot, you know, at the same time. I really enjoy uh, also going to South Dakota for pheasants. And you can do that, you know, anywhere from the end of October till the end of uh, December. So try to get that in. And it, it, you really got to find things that you can go after that fits around your schedule. And that's the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So oh, you kind of touched on it. So you kind of, well, you grew up in the North, you grew up outside, you grew up in the outdoors. And then there's this time in your life when you're like, Hey, I'm going to become an outfitter. Can you go through that with me? Because I think that's a, I mean, Chase has done a bit of guiding and stuff like that, but I think that's like almost uh, an outdoors person dream to like get into the outfitting business or doing these things kind of as a job. But like, what was it like for you? Like how the opportunity present itself and then how did you, you go straight forward and just go full-time and do it? Well, like we talked, I was always into hunting and fishing growing up and uh, <laughs> how it started. I was working for my dad as an appliance repairman. And I went, uh, I had a service call at Paint Lake and I met this, this old fellow, Ken Bigelow. And uh, I went out early that morning because it was moose season and went for a run down the South Grass River to see if I could see a moose. And then obviously I didn't get one. And then went to his place and did this service call on their stove. And he uh, asked me what I was doing. And I told him and uh, he was just starting a business for a bear outfitter. And um, he was doing it. He was, he was in his sixties. He, he was just starting and it was going to be, kind of a sideline for him. He had been retired from the mine and uh, he asked me if I wanted to help him with that. And uh, I did, I, I was his guide and uh, we built that business for a couple of years. And, uh, um, and then I just decided, you know, I want to try this on my own and started out with six bear tags. They said, uh, here's six bear tags. You do it, uh, see how you like it and go from there. Now I'm up to around 50 bear tags. So smokes. Um, that, uh, that's how it started. So the, the, the bulk of your clientele now is obviously uh, the folks south of the border. Um, I, I'm curious though, too, is a, uh, like, did you, did you acquire those tags through the natural resources or did you buy somebody out or did you get them off of your, uh, the gentleman that you're working for and uh, be, where the where who were your first clients were they local manitoba boys or did they come from the south they all come from the south um the first uh when i said the first six that turned into 24 and i started that one from scratch Whoa. then uh oh i don't know about five years into it i bought out johnson road outfitters um and that's where you guys were uh up ice fishing right and uh, so I, I bought 12 tags from there, from there. And, uh, and then the moose camp, uh, that was in the original all-terrain bear hunts and uh, we bought it or uh, built it right from scratch. Right. So, so when you're uh, doing the outfitting gig and like Chase said, like, how do you, so you can acquire your tags by buying out in other outfitters, but like, is there a lot of, like, if you want to expand still, is there a lot of, um hoops to jump through and stuff like is it a hard thing to acquire more tags or do you just think you've got enough that's it like that's enough work for you or or where are you at now my six tags for that area my my all-terrain bear area 
it started six and then it got to 24 and that was tapped out as far as uh, uh, resources say that's the, the most that that area can handle. Um, we're pretty locked in now, like I, you could get more area, but it, it wouldn't be feasible because it's so far away. Right. Um, like everything borders up, like there's outfitters right close, right close. And, uh, you know, that makes it difficult to expand and, and make it worthwhile. The only way I could get any bigger now is to buy one of those, one of these outfitters that border my area. When do you say when? You know, when is enough? Mm -hmm. I guess. So yeah. Um, so uh, like from my understanding, the way it works is like every every game hunting area gets an allocation, right? A number of tags that gets uh, committed to uh, an outfitter or however many outfitters are in the area, right? And that's the kind of maximum number that that game hunting area receives. Yeah, I. I had one of the biologists tell me it was a certain square kilometer. We're talking bears here that, okay, if your area was this many square kilometers, you can take, you can have whatever X number of tags. And uh, that's just how they explained it to me. You know, like we have a huge area, but we just hunt where it's easy off either the road or water system. Um, like that area can go 50 miles that you could mm -hmm. never get through, only fly to. But that's the beauty of bear hunting. You can pull them in from a long ways away. So. Right. That's, yeah, it's very interesting. I think like um, when biologists or whoever have told you how many tags per whatever square kilometers. So do they like, do, is, and that's another thing that I'd like to chat about too. And I don't want to get down this rabbit hole too far, but like, that's one thing that I've never really understood about bear hunting was like the baiting side of things until me and you had a conversation one night and you're like telling me you know like it's it's a good thing like because you can you know pick out the mature bears you can do this and there's like you know what's coming in for numbers and you know if a bait's slow we don't we don't hunt it you know it's got to be a good bait so all those things that are coming into perspective on like where you're going to be hunting and you know do biologists also follow up or natural resources follow up with like finding out numbers of what you're harvesting or how many bears are in the area we do have to do an odf outfitter declaration form for each hunter each license we sell okay. and um there's a bunch of questions on it and it asks if you know if if we if the client shot a bear if it was a female or a male and then they also uh, ask how many days you've hunted and also the number of sightings in those days um as far as i know that's the only way they uh can you know can Figure tell yeah yeah um i know that the province is working on a, a bear management study um i'm not sure where that's at right now they're trying to determine a population of bears you know um, and nobody really knows we know there's quite a few though you know yeah that's giving me my next question as like as a guy that's out there you know, all those days of the year, what do you think the bear population, like, I mean, let's just say for your area, because that's what you know, but what is the bear population like? Like, do you think it's over average? Is it healthy? What do you think? Oh, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it would be very good. Uh, I would say um, it's over average, right. but uh, you know, you can still have hot baits where uh, sometimes the bears don't come in either. It's, it's not like a slam dunk. 
But what you were saying about the baiting thing is you can be very selective, you know, on what you go after. Right. Um, if you're hunting, say, just for example, if you were just hunting, say, an oak field and you knew there was a bear in there and it stood up and you shot and went down and then right after that, you didn't see them, but a couple cubs stood up. You know, that's, that's where the baiting you can, you can wait and give them time and see what's coming and try to take a mature animal. Yeah, for sure. But, um, so we got kind of got through, so you got, you're now an outfitter, you got a bunch of bear tags, um, and you also do moose and, and wolves. And I just wanted to touch on the moose a bit. That's pretty hot topic here in Manitoba right now. But from my understanding, like you've, you've got some, some pretty good area up there. Northern Manitoba far North is, has been always pretty good. What is like your average size bull up there? Um, from what my understanding is that the bulls in far North, like Northern Manitoba are a lot bigger than what we'd expect to see like down in like Riding Mountain National Park, let's say like, what do you like, what is your, what's a good big bull for your, for your outfit? Well, we've been doing this for years. Um, we've been hunting moose up uh, northeast of Thompson for since 2002 and we've got I guess three in around three or four in around that 60 inch range now that's really big Mm -hmm. Um, you know and and a good mature bull you know is is 50 for sure 50 so 50 inches what's your client's target is it always big like 50 inch are they just or are your clients normally like, I just want to see a bull moose and shoot a bull moose or does it, is it all over the map? It's pretty well all over the map, but it seems like when you talk to them uh, for a Canada moose, they say 50. Um, okay. they, and then I've had them in, in camp where they've said, okay, we were on an Alaska Yukon hunt and, and that magic number seems to be 60 or more. So but I've also had lots of guys say, I want nothing but a 50 and then they shoot a 40. So, right. <laughs> well, know. that was, that's exactly where I'm going with my next one is like, how do you, I mean, I've done a bit of moose hunting, um, but I'm the kind of guy that like if a bull moose walks out of the bush, it's, I'm going to try to kill it because that's just the way I, I guess I hunt. I don't have the opportunity to, to look through a few different bulls, but when you're trying to measure a bull, a live bull on the side of a bank of a lake, what are some of the characteristics you're looking for? I mean, a big mature bull, a big 50 plus inch bull, like what are you looking for? I mean, obviously you're, how do you measure that from the boat, you know, or from the tree stand or wherever you're hunting from? You know, I don't really have anything that, uh, I guess I've just seen so many that I can just tell. Um, you can get, you can get some spindly bulls that are in their high forties that have no palmation either, but uh, usually they got, big wide palms and they got something up front like you know three four or five points you know we call them eye guards um and and the body like the big mature bulls just have such a bigger set of front shoulders and neck they just look massive you know you you know you're hunting and you're looking and so many of my hunters say you know i was looking for something so much smaller and then when they finally see one it's like oh like how could that even get biased, you know? So, but um, I'm interested. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that in in my uh, the way I think of interesting people is like the most interesting people are the folks that spend the most time 
in the wilderness. And as an outfitter, you obviously get to spend a lot of time in the wilderness and in the wild. What's uh, what's some of the craziest thing you things that you've seen uh, happen when moose hunting? You have a couple mm. of stories that come to mind. Well, you know, to to me, these a lot of these things are kind of normal, but maybe to others they're not. Um, well, I was we were calling a uh, calling moose one time and set up a cow decoy and and uh had the guest and uh we were on a, a big beaver dam and I nothing was really happening so I just said uh I'm gonna go walk to the other edge of the swamp here and just kind of look around for some sign and and then I heard the the client yelling and uh I didn't really know what was going on so I made my way back and there he was he was standing full draw with his bow and there was a bear about three yards from him and he was yelling no bear no bear Holy. <laughs> but uh, i guess the bear had never seen a human up there and uh it, it did see the decoy i guess and I, I i don't know if it was going for the decoy or what but it got real close and then things in camp uh some really cool things you know this is over many years too like one year we had a a lynx he stayed in camp with us for the full three weeks no he, would, he would he would sit and lay under the the cleaning table and eat all the scraps and every morning we'd come out and he'd get up and stretch like oh i'm so full <laughs> <laughs> and then uh we've had moose walk right through camp and you know being woke up by wolves howling and but you know those are kind of normal things for us but uh other people sure like them do you ever get the the camp destroyers those bears that get into stuff and just wreck everything and and what do you guys do to prevent that or what have you learned along these last 20 some years we we've between myself and my brother we've had bears in lots of camps the biggest thing is keep a camp clean um i had one completely destroy moose camp i don't know about five years ago and uh it was a mess it was it was it was a mess and uh we ended up uh we got it all patched up and and got our hunt through but i put up a an electric fence for him with the solar panel um and uh but when, when they start getting in you pretty pretty well have to take care of them because they mm. get a they like that they get a, a taste of that free whatever and uh although there wasn't much food in there uh, he was into every building and like the sleep house where there's never ever been food in and he was in there and tore it up and was up on the beds and all kinds of things so so he had a little all train bear hunt vacation yeah yeah he did yeah so, let's see let's see what this bear camp's all about yeah that's crazy and like so what do you so so do you like i'm just trying to like picture some of these camps and so are some of them you break them down throw them into barrels and just whatever but some of them there's structures that they'll actually just mess up yeah the the, the main lodge is uh is is like cabins so yeah that's what they got into and and all the the spike camps you try to make them as uh, fair proof as possible like you said put things in barrels and uh, don't leave any food that's that's number one number one because uh they'll find it they will find it yeah so and what about wolves you said you've had wolves in camp before have they ever like 
been a menace at, at any like they don't really get into shit though do they no no we really haven't uh no like we'll see him cruising through or or hear them or but they don't ever cause trouble like a bear can yeah i got i got a good wolf story for you and it's not from uh personal experience but uh i, I was guiding a, a tent camp for a white-tailed deer in the tent camp across the peninsula from us had wolves in camp and they were brave enough that they would come into camp at night and and uh steal the garbage like the, the store the garbage in like a quad trailer and they'd uh-huh. come in there and pull the garbage out at night pretty no, bold I've never, yeah i've never had them that you know that uh <laughs> that brave they come in yeah so. Since speaking of wolves, and it's going to kind of reflect the same question as the bear one, but like, what is the wolf population like up there? I mean, Thompson's known as like, what is it, the wolf capital of the world now? Um, are there that many wolves? I mean, I've lived up there and I've probably seen a handful of them on the highway and, and with work and stuff. But what's your uh, what's your idea when it comes to the wolf population? There's plenty of wolves. You don't see many. Like they're very secretive animals. Um, but. Uh, you know, when you when you do a lot of remote things, um, you see you see all kinds of tracks. You know, right. uh, I'm sure I'm I'm actually I'm sure Chase could answer that question better flying around a helicopter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's uh, there's no shortage of them. That's for sure. Sweet. Yeah, there's definitely no shortage of wolves. Um, now, <clears throat> we, you kind of talked there for a second about. Grow, growing out outfitting business and uh and i'm i'm kind of curious about like the good the bad and the ugly obviously the good is is when you're acquiring more tags and things are growing um the ugly may be considered we can throw COVID into that that uh that category because that that was a hard hit for you guys um but uh what are some of the other struggles that uh that you have in the outfitting industry as as a growing outfitter and uh just as uh you know uh an outfitter right now what are the challenges well obviously covid yeah that was the all-time worst challenge i would say um you know i've been doing it long enough that i was uh, i was in business in the whatever they called it in the u.s that 2008 um yeah recession and and made it through it um now covid well this is that's even more of a challenge because of how much time like we we were not allowed to operate um other things i mean i i mean we choose this industry but uh mother nature can be a real bitch sometimes (laughs) like the last two years, we had the highest water or docks are washing away, shorelines washing away. And right now up here, it's the lowest water level I've seen ever. Really? We got some rain coming. And, and then you look at the south and you guys are, are drowning in water. And like, this isn't, this isn't me right now, but I know some of the outfitters from last year, um, in the south there their their camps were burning up and now they can't even hardly get to them because they're underwater so mm. that's uh those can be the tough ones you know we, we were in uh, i don't know 
three or four times in moose camp where we had to fly out early because things were freezing up and like those kind of things you, you just never know yeah you guys are uh I, I feel like you guys are almost like farmers in that sense where you really are weather dependent um on access and stuff like that but um outfitting is obviously a, a seasonal game as well right so you have uh maybe there is not a real off season for you but because there's always shit breaking down and fixing to have fixing to do on a lot of your gear because when it's go time it's kind of go time but what is your uh like what's a year look like for you when's uh when when do things start ramping up when do you start doing prep work and and when when are you full throttle throughout this the year oh yeah you said it we we've always we're always doing something full throttle would be right now our bear season is just getting underway um and it'll go right through you know we'll we'll our bear season up here is till the end of June. Uh, then we fish. Then bear season starts August 15th. And it'll go to mid-September. Then we're off moose hunting till mid-October. And then it's uh, a scramble trying to get everything put away before it all freezes up. Mm-hmm. And then you turn into uh, ice fishing. Yeah, it's, it's, especially if you try to do it all yourself. And right now in this uh covid thing you know the more you can do it yourself the better just to make it through like if you can fix your own gear and you know do your own book work and it, it turns into be way too much but uh sometimes you just got to do it just to get through so yeah that's the funny thing about owning a small business is sometimes you got to be you're not just the outfitter you're the accountant you're the you're the chef you're the uh the mechanic and you're the the whole oh. meal deal you're the mechanic, the electrician, the plumber, you name it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, and I think you mentioned something last time we were up there too. Uh, do you bait the bears right through the summer as well? You keep those I do. baits active? Yeah. And and yes. you, you'd mentioned that that the, your, the fear there, if you quit having active baits, you lose the bears, right? Yeah. Uh, more so if you have a good berry crop and that is all that weather dependent thing like you never know you you just never know if it's if it's going to be good or not so you we just do it we also have some photographers that like to come in and and do wildlife viewing and uh, you know that fills in the void too a little bit but uh, mm-hmm. yeah so you're almost rolling out of your spring hunting season and just continuing right through keeping barrels filled and essentially just rolls right into prep for the fall that's right yep that's the thing too is like we follow you on facebook instagram all social media and stuff your name is all train bear hunts on there but you do obviously moose hunting um wolves and now you're obviously doing some fishing um what does that look like for you like i mean is it something like you said it's like filling the void um when you have those bad years and stuff are you kind of pushing the fishing a bit more or, or what does that all look like? Or is it just kind of just some filler work for the season? That's definitely what it's been. Um, um, when the recession in 2008, I, I used to just do this for the bear hunting and the moose hunting. And prior to 2008, everything was, was all happy and good. And then it slowed a bit. So then I started doing summer fishing. Now that's kind of, that's pretty well filled up. 
uh, keeps me busy all summer long. But now with the with the uh, COVID, where uh, nobody from across the border could come up, we you know got the proper permits and are starting the ice fishing along with the northern lights viewing. Uh, people seem to really like that and just. Uh, the winter camping experience out at the, the bear camp and it, it seems to be getting a lot of interest so we'll just see how, where that goes yeah, yeah. that's awesome um I'm, I'm curious about the the fishing side of things because i know hunting right here everyone pretty much knows what they're signing up for for the most part you're you're buying a, a package deal you're buying uh, a room at the camp you're buying uh your license and your find your guide for the the time that you're there but um, as far as fishing goes what kind of packages do you offer there for people that want to come up and, and check it out we do everything we uh we've even we've got a daily rate but uh, we do big groups um actually we specialize in the bigger groups and that has really been popular i've got a group from minnesota that's been coming for oh at least 10 years now and they'll bring 10 people Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, we got three new uh, 16-foot Illumarines with 15 four-stroke Yamahas. And uh, the, the fishing part is, it's, it's pretty well self-guided. Like new people that come will, will get you on the, on the spots. But uh, the good fishing is so close to camp that uh, we kind of just let the, the, the people do their own thing. Um, Obviously, one of us, usually myself, is always out there just uh, in case we've got to put out some fires or like if the generator quits or whatever, a boat motor. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's actually worked out quite well. Yeah, that was that was the, the cool thing that uh, I found when we were up there is like when, when we first got up there, you kind of gave us a lowdown and said, all right, the good fishing is like right out here. Um, and then so we fished there and we had great fishing and then of course we're like wow what's around the corner maybe there's maybe there's better fishing but the literally the best fishing we had all week was right in front of camp which is amazing yeah it, it, it really is especially that spring bear you know i had a group and this was even before i had all the boats there there was a boat for them to use but when the ice first went off i said the best fishing is right off this dock and they had a baseball clicker for the week and they just fished off the dock and like obviously they weren't keeping them all but they were up to over 240 walleye for the week right off the dock just off the just, dock yeah that's insane so, that's so. crazy that's a good uh, week on the dock yeah. yeah um so so yeah so you've doing all this guiding if you could pick one what's your favorite what what's your favorite thing to guide i it would, again it would probably have to be the moose and why I love the calling. I really think it's cool when you're talking to an animal and he's talking back. The one thing is, I mean, I don't want to do either what he's talking to me about, you know, <laughs> but uh, it sure is neat to interact, you know, and I think that's the same, like, you know, we don't have elk here. And, and when I whitetail hunt, I really like that too. When you're right, we can rattle them in or, grunt them in but uh talking to a big old moose there's nothing that gets my blood rolling like that yeah for sure i mean there's always been something in my mind when it comes to moose hunting and just seeing that 
animal so big in like real life standing in front of you and like it's yeah. not even like when you're hunting even you see them like alongside the road and you're just like jesus man those are big so i couldn't imagine like seeing one in the far far north north parts of manitoba where you know you're talking 50 plus inches i've never seen one um in real life like that kind of thing so it's super interesting um when it comes to you know doing a little bit of the moose guiding i know we talk about it with anyone we can because it's a very big interest of ours but you, you talk about calling in moose and talking with them is there anything that you found in your areas that work better than others like are you calling like big bulls or um any, anything different than that might be different it all depends on the bull um the biggest thing i found is uh, as remote as we are up there you got to have the wind in your favor um if he smells you game over you know it's amazing how he can come through and he sounds like a train coming through the bush and if he gets a wind or he hears something unnatural it's amazing how quiet they can leave um, right. but we usually typically use the cow call uh depending on the bull earlier in our uh when we were new at moose hunting we used the bull call and we scared off a few um you know say you get the the average bull or whatever 40s and uh you give a a, a mature bull call and he might have just you know got a whipping from a bigger bull and and then sometimes they'll just be quiet so um if anything i'll call like a cow and if it's a bigger bull holding up i'll give a a young bull call like uh like he's trying to sneak in and get his cow mm -hmm. and that'll sometimes put him right over the edge and he'll come out so it's uh it all depends on the animal yeah and when you're doing that bull calling and everything else with a client i mean you don't have to give all your hot tips and tactics away but if, if we're out hunting with you how would how would you generally set up i mean your first thing obviously is the wind but like would you have your client 50 or 50 or so yards ahead of you like what do you what's the best way to do that or what do you find that's successful yeah for sure it, especially archery if you know if you if you have a bull kind of figured out like if you've seen him down the shoreline and he's coming and he's following that shoreline for sure you get your get your client a little a little ahead of you and try to get that bull to walk right right on top of him um with a with a gun hunter we stay pretty close because then we can communicate pretty good again it's all every situation's different you know sometimes that bull just swim right across right to you you just never know but um we we do find that if if he has the opportunity to circle you he will so you got to watch for that yeah for sure and the other thing that it's interests me ever since watching uh your outfit there on canada in the rough and you're hunting with clients all the time and you're you know you're doing these tactics um it always it kind of made, made me think like when you and we kind of talked about it too but when you get these guys looking at these bulls is there that conversation is like is that big enough and then you're telling them no but they want to shoot or it's like the exact opposite you're like that's a shooter and they're like are you sure like they must just get like memorizing when you see these big bulls standing there uh we typically don't have to um convince anybody <laughs> you know it's yeah. it's uh you know we just started with a 40 inch minimum on our camps just to to keep our trophy 
quality up um, because there's guys, you know, they'll come in and, you know, I'm shooting on 50 inch or better. That's it. On day three, you know, we've had three tough days and there's a 40 incher and uh, he'll be an archery hunter and he'll just say, hey, give me your gun, <laughs> you know, so, but we're, we've changed that. And yeah, like I've had a few guys say, hey, is that, is that one good enough? And it's, <laughs> the green light is very, very rarely on for more than a couple seconds before things are happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, I don't know, I think about hunting with clients or whatever with, when it comes to moose hunting, and it might, might get pretty exciting. I know we talked about, like, if it's the junior hunter or the seasoned veteran that you like hunting with, um, but do you get the odd time where you get to go hunt with your brother or your buddies or anything with for moose hunting, or is it usually work, 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 and uh, you don't get much of a, much of a chance? Uh, moose hunting, we don't too much. We do, we get to a little bit. Um, it's just such a tight season. You know, we might get a day or two here or there, but I can never, we can never really concentrate and enjoy the hunt because we're thinking about, okay, we got to get the boats out of the water and it camps down before it freezes up and we can't fly the plane out or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I really enjoy. And, and my brother and I went uh, on a Kansas whitetail hunt together and you know, we can commit 100% to that hunt. You know, when you're at home, you're thinking about, oh, the docks and the boats and just everything. So yeah. for me, I got to get away. I got to get away from home to uh, really enjoy a hunt. Get that disconnect. Yeah. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Chase, do you have any, uh, any more questions or anything for Corey before we start the old round table? I do. I want to pick your brain about bear hunting a little bit more. Okay. And uh, being a fellow that that is uh, yourself has has expanded your your bear hunting territory. I'm I'm curious uh, when, when you're starting up uh, a new bait site. What are some of the the things that you look for um, in identifying and and saying like this is somewhere where that could be a productive site? Are there any like telltale signs or or what's uh, what do you look for? Well, in the north here. Um, I always like to be near some sort of water, um, be it on a lake or a river or even a beaver pond. There's just a lot of activity around those things like, you know, bears, they'll obviously drink the water, but there's a lot for them to eat there too. Like they can get duck eggs and frogs and, you know, all wildlife goes to water and, uh, and it's also a travel route for them a lot of the time too. So uh, when I'm starting a new one, that's what I usually kind of look for. Mm -hmm. A little bit of water. And then is there any type of, I mean, it's mainly pine and black spruce up, up on the North, North country, but is there any sort of uh, um, like cover that you're looking for as well? Or how, how does that work out for you? Well, uh, something that's been really good is uh, old logged out areas with new growth because you'll get a lot of berry patches in that. And, uh, you know, if you can set up where there's bears, they will find you. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's kind of key because, you know, if there was bears in that area before you were there, you will obviously have success. So, yeah. Yeah. If, if you're where the bears are at, then yeah. there's a good chance they'll come check you out. Yep. 
for sure. So is that something like I've seen it on TV a little bit and hunting shows and stuff, but are, when you make a new bait, are you like dragging in a beaver behind, behind you when you walk in to try to cut trails to, for bears to find you or, or they'll just find you if you got a bait somewhere? Ah, uh, like we had just said, if you're in a good area, they're going to find you, but I always drag a beaver oh, if, yeah. if I have it, um, just to lay the track lay the scent down because they're opportunists they they will walk on your trail they'll they'll follow the easy route and if they can get a you know get onto that um they'll follow right too yeah you know and then with the 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 cooking oil like to use fryer grease dump it all over the place you know they'll walk in it and leave a trail behind them when they leave you know you get some a mama with cubs in there and they're in it and they're all over the place. They're up in trees and everything. So they're doing the, they're, they're putting out to scent for you. Right. When you do it that way. It's creating, creating a hub for you pretty yep. much. There you go. Yep. And a few other things about your bear bait now that we're on the topic, I'm starting to think of more, more questions. Um, but I've noticed like with um, Canada and the rough and other groups, like they, they like to sit on the ground or there's some hunters that like to sit on the ground, be up personal. What's your thoughts on sitting on the ground compared to a tree stand? Where do you like to be? Uh, I did not like the ground before Canada and the rough. I just found that it was, it just led to too many screw ups. Um, but they convinced me that it would be better TV. And after seeing what they produced, it was great. Like they were, they were, you know, right eye level is, is amazing footage and they, they made an excellent show. Now you do have to have some pretty big kahunas to sit on the, the ground. <laughs> if, if like 99.9 of these bears are never going to do anything and hurt you. But I tried it last fall after Cannon Ruff was here and, I was watching a bear in front of me and I could hear one breathing right by my ear and I turned and he, yeah, he was right by my ear. That's a, that gets a little unnerving, you know? So, because they are all over, like they, they're all over in there. It's not like, uh, you know, you're sitting on a, a whitetail trail and they walk by these guys, they're there for a reason and they're checking everything out. And yeah. I guess, uh, I mean, the best hunt for me would be in a tree stand just because uh, you can kind of concentrate more on, on uh, shooting the animal instead of your escape rope, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and you know, like this is uh this isn't the same by any means, but I do a lot of hunting for whitetail on the ground and I pref- like, I mean, I like the being on the ground being kind of close and maybe more personal with the deer, but when you're up in a tree stand, you can see a lot more where you can see kind of what's happening instead of like boom they're right in front of you kind of idea so i could see when it comes to bear hunting if they're right in front of you or behind you or on top of you it probably does get nerve-wracking because you can't see them really coming in when you're on the ground i'm sure yeah and yeah especially like lots of times the bear bait will have more than one and you'll be focused on the one in front of you and then that's always when the sneaky one comes in behind it seems (laughs) yeah but I mean, I mean, so you're saying that you might have to have big kahunas to sit on the ground, but you're the one that's walking in there with their food. Have you ever, ever had any pretty close calls or any a good story that might stick out in, in your mind when it comes to baiting these bears? I've never been attacked, if that was the question. Um, I think they know better. This is the food guy coming in. Right. <laughs> so, 
Um, I've had I've had some uh, pretty neat things with with sow and cubs. Like one time I had uh, I walked in and then I seen one cub and uh, and uh, no there was two cubs and and mama and the two went up the tree and so I backed off and I could see the two little ones come down and so I went back in and uh, she wasn't leaving she was about oh five or six yards just pacing back and forth and I set my buckets down and it was like okay go on go on and she was not leaving and uh, so anyway backed off again and same thing and I went in and she was still there and then I uh, a branch or a pine cone fell out of the tree above me and I looked up and sure enough there was another cub that I didn't even know was there oh um and she wasn't leaving so I backed off right to the boat and uh come back up and still she was still there and the cub was there and so I had to get going so I grabbed a rock and I was gonna throw it above the cub to try to scare it down this is when I was new at this game probably didn't know as much as I should <laughs> and I accidentally hit the cub and it cried and that sow come walking straight to me and climbed that tree and put her arms around the cub no she way. didn't she didn't she wasn't gonna get me but she was going to protect her cub hmm. so no way. so I backed off and fed that one the next day <laughs> yeah. it seems like there's a there's a um the unwritten rule of bear camp and, and camps in general from what i learned from my my time in the north and, and all the hunt camps is uh don't mess with the cook or the chef <laughs> yeah yeah well i'm i'm hoping that one sticks for well at least a few more years <laughs> <laughs> well chaser wrap her up that's all you got so you said you had a bunch of bear questions yeah i just wanted to pick his brain about uh setting baits oh yeah right on no i just um i guess we can do the final final round table whatever you want to call it chase you have any last words for the podcast yeah i just want to say thanks Corey, for coming on and joining us uh again it's it's always a good time to to chat hunting and um i always like sitting down with like i said guys that that spend a lot of time in the woods i always come out of it learning something um always some good stories and some good lessons come out of it for, for myself. So I'm hoping a lot of our listeners feel the same way and uh, yeah, hopefully we can uh, link up again soon. All right. Well, thanks for having me. It's always, always a good time. And uh, like you say, we can trade some stories and uh, we've got to just keep promoting the industry that we're in. Yeah. And that's kind of my last kind of food for thought is that um you know, I've, I've known you for a long time now. And the one thing that I think a lot of people look at, like, let's say like bear hunting or moose hunting or whatever. And they think like, Oh, it's just like going and shooting an animal. But I know like for a fact that there's more to it. And and you've taught me so much over the years when it comes to conservation with like bear hunting or moose and, you know, and it's almost like chase kind of alluded to earlier in the podcast, kind of like farming when it comes to like weather, but it's also the same thing when it comes to the animals, right? You want to, uh, you want to make sure you're you're conserving and having stuff there for tomorrow. So, um, so good job on your end. I mean, I've you've been a good role model for me for a lot of years. And when it comes to that, um, and again, thanks for having us fishing this year. We had a blast there at uh, 
at your bear camp. It was, it was a wicked time. We did a lot of good fishing and got to swap some stories there. So thanks for everything. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. All right. Well, hopefully we can do that again and uh, the fishing and the yeah. podcast, but yeah. Uh, yeah thanks for having Yeah. Thanks <laughs> for uh, having me and uh, do it again. Yeah. Until next time. Okay, man. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you in a bit. Thanks for listening to episode 122. That was a pretty good episode by us. <laughs> no big deal. But I'd um, like to Cor- thank us. Yeah, I'd like to thank us once again. Corey is a great guest. We've had him on before. If you haven't listened to that podcast episode, go back to like our first 20-ish episodes. I think he's in one of them. We talk all about black bear hunting, and he has a lot of tips and tactics in that. Um, but yeah, it was good to just to sit down, chat with him again. We were there ice fishing this winter, so um, he's no stranger to the podcast. So it's good to good to get him on. Chase, a couple of things before we wrap this all up. Um, in our store, we have a couple new hats, and you've been kind of uh, I see you've been wearing that black one. Mm-hmm. What's your uh, What do you think? I like it. Yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's a nice lid, uh, full flex fit on that one and it's a deeper hat so it's uh if you got a bigger head or whatever it's a it's a real nice fit um high peak on a bit of a flatter bill and uh yeah we got the the black one with the orange text or the white one with the blue text on it uh neat looking hats something different than what we're sorry but it's like puffy um embroidery right like so yeah 3d like pops yeah it's like textured or whatever you call it yeah it's it's almost like a retro golf hat in a way yeah 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 it's a pretty nice uh pretty nice ride that baby become my daily driver nice um yeah and in the store you can get find all our hats sweatshirts t-shirts tank tops um camp cups cutting boards buffs we've got a whole bunch of stuff in there we got a blog in there uh, I believe we're going to be starting to put in some more recipes. I know I think I'm going to be asking the ambassadors for some uh, some of their famous recipes if they got a chance. Um, speaking of ambassadors, though, I got to give out a few shout outs here as I uh, remember them. But uh, Rachel McClay, she's uh, been helping us out at Panoramic Outdoors. She's doing like the clay pigeon shooting. I don't even know what it's called exactly. I should maybe sit down and talk to her a little bit. But she's going to be at Wolverine uh, Supplies in Verdon. Uh, in the near future, you might have to look that up. I don't have much information on it, but she, she'll be shooting there and answering questions on behalf of Browning, <clears throat> sorry, Browning Canada and Wolverine. Another shout out to Sasha and his team of Jig and Minnow, our Jig and Minnow fishing team. They are going to be getting ready to do some fishing this summer. So we're helping them out a little bit. Um, and also to shout out to April, you might see her podcast on our um, platform. She has uh a podcast that she she does with a bunch of other like-minded women but she's doing a shed hunting um rally next weekend i believe another thing that i don't have much information on but it might as well shout it out so look her up on instagram and facebook you'll be able to find out all that information and it's pretty cool all you got to do is go shed hunting and then like take pictures send them to her and she has uh, some prizes just for getting outside so i think that's mm-hmm. super cool one of the things that we always promote is just to get outside right yeah yeah, it's pretty awesome. So you could do do a little bit of morale hunting, and if you find a shed, there you go. Send it in. There you go. Or so with uh, with mushrooms, can you be finding them right now? Yeah, some people are finding uh, some pretty good stacks of morels out there right now. <laughs> oh, nice. um, yeah, 
but uh, I, I've learned that there's a false morale as well that can be eaten, but it's uh, some it's a little bit more riskier for some folks. Oh, apparently, yeah. is there any mushrooms that make you like drop like twenty pounds right off the bat? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I was talking to one of my other buddies, and he got I think he's got salmonella poisoning. I don't know. He oh, says really? it's the fiber in this yogurt he's eating, but uh, um, one of my cousins had salmonella poisoning from. Uh, this trip to jamaica he was on and he ate a raw egg or something that had salmonella oh yeah. and he lost like 30 pounds over a month so no way yep they just have salmonella pills i can't even say that word <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> gotta get a tapeworm in you yeah yeah huge <laughs> huge tapeworm get some uh get some uh walleye sashimi <laughs> there you go there you go okay man anything else before we wrap this one up that's it man looking forward to some sunshine Hey man, you know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to uh, hanging out with you and Tristan and the gang again. There was, uh, there was snow on the ground, ice on the lakes last time we hung out. So it'd be yeah. nice to get together and do some uh, fishing or foraging or camping. Yeah. Bonfire and whatever it may be. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All right, man. You take care. Okay. Catch you guys next time.